Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody, welcome to. <laughs> oh, God, this is stupid already. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Breakdown Subset My Obsession. I am your panelist, Matt Koplik. Uh, with me today is the one, but not the only, Charlotte Malty. Hello, Charlotte. Where are all the other ones? I don't know. Locked in a basement somewhere? I guess I hid them from the world. Mm, I don't know. I've been watching a lot of SVU. I feel like that shit happens a lot. More than you'd think. More More than than you'd think, think, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) This has gone well. Uh, Charlotte uh, toured the country as a governess to a bunch of bratty children Mm. in The Sound of Music. Yeah. All my years of babysitting really paid off on that one. Mm. Well, and Hebrew school. <laughs> oh, how long were you in Hebrew school? I mean, until my bat mitzvah. Right. After- Weren't you there? <laughs> no, I wasn't. Oh, we weren't friends yet. No, I like just became because yeah, I just became friends with you. Like year after. Yes, it was. Oh yeah, Matt and I go very far back. Sorry, yes, this is all very. Um, There's a lot of this is all, this is all inside baseball right now. Yeah. I have known Charlotte uh, for thirteen years since I was twelve. Yes. Well, I knew your sister, Emily, a little longer than I knew you. Right. Um, you and I became friends when we famously did a production of Little Shop of Horrors outside. Mm. Take that, Regent's Park Open Air Theater. We did Ayo. it first. Ayo. Ayo. Uh, Charlotte was a lovely 13 years old while I was 17. And, uh, it was kinky. It was very kinky. I waited all my life to finally get a lead, and Charlotte shows up being tall and was like, I'm going to get a lead. <laughs> They're like, hey, she looks like she hit puberty. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. Anyway. We had uh, a hootenanny. We have a hootenanny. Uh, Charlotte just came back from the West End, where mm, her mm, mm. father, Tony Winner, Richard Multi Jr. Winner with a silent Q. Winner. <laughs> oh, God. I feel like this is only going to be fun for us. Oh, I'm um, sure. This is going to be insufferable for everyone else. Uh, Charlotte's father just uh, opened up a revival of Big the Musical, <laughs> which Charlotte was present at. Uh, if you listened to last week, ep- last week's episode, you know that I know a lot of things about Big. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put Charlotte on the hot seat right now because I have some questions based oh. on this week's episode. She's not prepared for this. Oh, gosh. True or false? Mm-hmm. Dancing all the time is still on the show. True. Fantastic. Next question for you. Mm-hmm. 
say good morning to mom is still put back in? Yes. Okay. They have both say good morning to mom and this isn't me. How does that work? It was too much. Um, <laughs> it's too much. Mostly well, so, just because you you know the transformation is going to happen and yeah. immediately all you want is for the focus to be on Josh. Yes. And then when you start with good morning to mom and then you're just, you're just I, waiting for yes, it. Yes, I agree. Other hot seat question. Is the slushy dance break still in the show in its time the act two opener oh you oh yeah with the da 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 is that still in it is that still in it duh okay duh how could you not i'm aware i i know this that's like cutting the piano dance it you know what maybe not because that's from the movie it's like cutting I don't know. What else is iconic? It's like cutting the opening audition in a chorus line. It's like, what's even the point ah, if you don't have the... I mean, exactly. it's not a slushy dance because there's it's shaken like soda ice, but I call yeah. we call it the slushy dance. I know. It took dance. me a second to be like, what are you talking about? But, like, but yes. it's, shorthand, I call it the slushy dance. Mike Bella calls I mean, it the slushy dance. I mean, here's the thing. Dance. It's in the score. It's part of the show. Yeah. You really can't... You can't cut get, it. You can't get around it. If Big did anything to the lexicon of musical theater, it oh. was it, that it gave us... A, a young new- white Polish boy from Jersey talking, talking rap. rap. It made us go, oh, children can do this? Mm-hmm. Let's have all of our children do this in shows now. It, like, upped the game. True. So, like, we have Matilda and Billy Elliot now because of Strowman and that dancing teen chorus. Damn straight. Billy, I'd like to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. Charlotte has also never listened to an episode of Broadway Breakdown, so all the, I'm irresponsible. All the jokes that you guys now know from this podcast are new to her. Um, but today's not about me. Today's mm-hmm. about Charlotte and her obsession. <gasps> because in Big the Musical, who choreographed Big the Musical? Uh, this uh, little choreographer by the name of Miss Susan Stroman. And Susan Stroman also choreographed a production of a musical of which is Miss Charlotte's Obsession. My obsession. And it is a production that I like to call Stroke Lahoma. Which is not a porno. It is not. <laughs> Although it has its moments. It does. Thank have you, its moments. Hugh Jackman. Yep. So oh, Stroke I think I had Lahoma. my sexual awakening watching this show, which is tough. Yeah. I wish I could tell you what my sexual awakening was. It's all a blur. It was uh, one big five year period. Uh, <laughs> it was a slow burn and then it popped. Um yikes. But so Stroke, Oklahoma is code for what show? Oklahoma, as mm-hmm. choreographed by Susan Stroman. And this is the 1998 19- <laughs> uh, London production starring Mr. Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. as well as Shula Hensley mm-hmm. as Jed. Uh, Josephina Gabrielle. I can, as... give you, I can give you one other name, but uh, Josephina Gabrielle as? As Laurie? Yeah. <laughs> Um, also the first uh, Lori to dance her own dream ballet, which mm-hmm. is why this is this production is the best worst thing that ever happened to me is because while it made Oklahoma one of my favorite shows, it also ruined Oklahoma from being a show that I could ever do because no one wants to see me dance my own dream ballet unless you want a wacky wailing inflatable arm flailing I mean, man. You could do the dream ballet in the current production. I feel like that's how you dance naturally. With the the butt scoots. Yeah, that's absolutely that how you That actually dance. is something that I do in my spare time. Scooting your butt across the floor is not the worst use of your time. However, it is a waste of your butt. 
<laughs> not your butt, not your butt specifically. My butt. I'm using the royal hue. Uh, so everyone's butt. It's a waste of one's butt. It's a waste of one's butt. Your butt can do so much, y'all. Or a way to or a way to wipe a butt of one's waste. How's that but, for grossness? And wordplay. Um, hey, bef- son of a lyricist. Before there was the Oklahoma that fucks, there was the Oklahoma that dry humped. Indeed. And that, that's how I would describe this Oklahoma, because it's not like it goes all the way balls deep, but it goes like, it goes decently. It tickles the balls for sure. <laughs> At- Absolutely. Um, so how did you come to know this Oklahoma, um, this version of I Oklahoma? I saw it in London as a munchkin. Um, I don't have very much memory of it because it was 1998 and mm. I was a zygote. Uh, but I also saw the Broadway production starring Patrick Wilson mm-hmm. and then had the DVD of Sir Oklahoma starring Hugh Jackman. And that mm-hmm. was just like a, one of those things that was like very much in the Mulvey family zeitgeist. Sure. It was like that, Music Man... Yeah, singing in the rain. Those were like your mom our... loves the Music Man. Oh, we we as a, we as a people love the Music Man. I just remember. Oh, maybe that's what we should have talked about. <laughs> we could have, especially we could. since it's coming back. But we don't have to. Um, uh, next time. Next. Bring me back for that because I have lots to say. Fantastic. I have to bone up on the Music Man. I need to remember more of it since since uh, Sun Foster is apparently now a soprano. So I mean, here's the thing: Sun Foster is actually the only person I want to see play Marion. Really? I was actually like really really perturbed that they were doing a revival of Music. Man, because I was like, do we need another ingenue? Because I have a very specific vision in my head of who this mm. girl is, and I've sure. never seen it done that way. And hearing that Sutton Foster is doing it, I was like, oh, get the fuck ready. Yeah. I'm here for this. Also, starring Hugh Jackman. What up? How about that? First segue back. back. How dare you make us go back from a tangent to the topic, Charlotte? Hey! Clearly, you never listen to this podcast. We go on tangents all the damn time. And I will say for the record, because I said it before, I am totally here for Sun Foster's Marion, when it was announced, it was the thing that made me go, oh, I actually think this production might be interesting. Yeah. Because I do think that, her, I do think we're going to hear a lovely soprano from her. We heard a very little bit of it in Drowsy Chaperone. voice is beautiful. It is, but people forget what she can do because she doesn't usually do soprano. She'll do like a, a mix that's sort of in the mask. Yeah. But that's not She has the capability soprano. because yeah. you can tell by the lightness and the placement of her voice. She has that instrument. Charlotte went to Michigan. <laughs> But it's, this, it's the same thing with Jesse Mueller, how no one was expecting her to be this soprano. Yeah. And I'm like, you've heard her voice. Like, she has different colors, and yeah. it, all you need is a voice you should be like, okay, instead of placing it there, place it there, bada bing, bada boom, soprano. Speaking of turning soprano rolls on its head. Hey. Welcome back to Strokelahoma. Yes. And Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. So you saw when you were as I go, I understand that I was five when I first saw Les yes, Mis, yes. but still, you went off to London to see this. Which yes, is well, we're the Mopies. We we go. It's high stakes theater game. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you see it at the National, or did you see it when it transferred to? Why am I asking this? How would you know when it transferred <laughs> to the Lyceum? I'm fairly certain that we saw it at the National. Okay, but it was, it's a big block of a building. All I remember, all I really remember from seeing it in London mm-hmm. was the teeny train that goes across the stage. <laughs> that train is everything. That and like the mini versions of the set that's like mm-hmm. on the side of the set to show that like where we are and that, how that's in the distance. Yes. That set was the first set I saw live because I saw it on Broadway too uh-huh. after ha- uh, owning the DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time I had seen a set that uh, did like forced perspective. I've never seen things like that before. Where it's like you have—I don't think it's ever like really been done like that before. Yeah, not or to that, least, yeah. not to that level. Um, I would say if anybody has done it before since it's Bob Crowley, but he does it in a very different way. He does sure. it like, like that production was very abstract in its design. Yeah, 
Um, and so, and but also like sometimes very literal. Like you would have. It the definitely house. had a lot of literal versions to it, but it, yes. Yeah, like you had the farmhouse that they were living on, and then like it was on a turntable, and we all know how much I fucking love a turntable. That turntable would turn, and all of a sudden, just like a, a model set of the farmhouse would like be behind and all of a sudden yeah. like oh we, we're like across the field now and it's very, and, because we really get a sense of like oh we're on the plains yes. and like there's nothing between here and there yes the vastness of it all Indeed. was very uh emphasized was heavily emphasized in this production Precisely. yes and that so you remember the forced perspective and you remember the train yes i also remember as a kid whenever someone would ask me who my idol was i would say hugh jackman mm-hmm. because he was someone who was in both musical theater and in movies mm-hmm. Of course, I did not know at the time that he wasn't the only person to do that, <laughs> but he was the first person that I knew who did that, sure. so I was obsessed with that, about how he was like such an amazing crossover. And I mean, you yeah. both have big dick energy, so I get it. Ew. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so Hugh Jackman uh, has a big dick. Moving on. Yes. Um, and one day, I plan to see it. Should we all be so... Yes, Ravenclaw mug. Mm-hmm. Sorry, he's just like sipping out of a Ravenclaw mug, and I just got very seen. Yeah, I've got a Ravenclaw mug and a Paddington Bear Bear. <gasps> I watched Paddington 2 three times this past week. I saw your Instagram story the other day. Yeah. I, yes, that movie is perfect. It's perfect. It's, it's the perfect screenplay. I will. So we're getting off topic, which is what we always do. I tell everyone, so the year Paddington 2 came out, and they're like, Matt, what do you want to win Oscars? I'm like, the one movie that deserves adapted screenplay is not even nominated. Paddington 2 is a perfect screenplay because every single detail is used again. Mm-hmm. It all comes back into play. Including and, the coin in the ear. I know. That's what he uses to call the fan. Well, so there's like, there's uh, this statement from Chekhov that's like, if you have, if you show a gun in Act 1, you gotta you fire it in, in Act, Act two. 2. Like, don't just show us stuff for the sake of showing stuff. Like, it mm-hmm. has to be important in any, like, in any way. It can be for character development, plot development, whatever you want. Paddington, uh, this is the, uh, let's change gun to uh, coins. Just why not? Pa- Paddington 2 has a million coins, yes. half of which you didn't even know were coins. Yeah. And also half of, half of which you don't even realize were until like the second time around. Yeah. It's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant, oh, perfect screenplay. The movie itself is delightful and made me cry when he's reunited also, with his aunt. Also, that fucking cast. Uh, like also, when he's... Okay, when he... When he's reunited with his aunt, mm-hmm. uh, when he almost drowns, Ugh. and uh, when the Browns don't show up to visiting and he cries. Or, how about this... I texted my father afterwards, who's obsessed with Follies, and I said, Father. Get out. <laughs> they use a song in Follies constantly in Paddington 2, and I guarantee you it's not the song you're thinking of. And he gave me seven song options, and I said, no, 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 no. Because no one ever thinks of Rain on the Roof when they think of Follies. No. Listen to the <laughs> rain, rain on, on the, the roof. Also, because the world needs Hugh, Gra- Hugh Grant as just leading a big musical dance number in a pink uh, prison jumpsuit. Hugh Grant is an international treasure. You know Correct. who's also an international treasure? Hugh Jackman. <gasps> hey! Whatever hey. that. Yeah, so, I thought I could talk about Paddington sh- 2 for a very long time. I'm glad can. you did that. <laughs> I, yeah. Charlotte Malby was four ish. So, I think. No, you, you might have even been three. Because it was night. It was summer of 98. Five. You were five? This many? You're well, not three years younger than me. Yes, you are. Am I? What's are you? math? How old am I? <laughs> so. Anyway. It stuck with you. So, Hugh Jackman. Yes. Um, for multiple reasons. One, uh, because Oklahoma just, like, plays such an important part in just, like, 
musical theater history and like it's foundation. It basically was the first. I mean, there is Showboat, mm-hmm. but after Showboat, it's first of all, it's the first Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, mm-hmm. which is very important, which is incredibly important, mm-hmm. and it basically is the first real story-driven book musical where mm-hmm. the scene leads to a song and the song continues to forward the action of the scene mm-hmm. as opposed to here's a scene we're going to stop the motion and then I'm going to sing about my feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you take the songs out of the script, the show does not exist. Exactly. And that's the mark of like a true good musical. Actually, at this very moment, I realized I do think that Oklahoma is the first musical to not have a single number that is a that is a a diegetic number. Does that make sense? Because Showboat has songs. Showboat does have songs that like propel the plot and character development, but it also mm-hmm. has a bunch of songs totally. that are n- like actual musical numbers. Like in musicals, you have diegetic and non-diegetic, mm-hmm. and the lines get crossed all the time when the show's about people in like the entertainment business, like cabaret. Cabaret always is going in that gray area. I think, mm-hmm. from what I can understand, Oklahoma is really the first one that has completely non-diegetic number. Or yeah non-diegetic numbers that also repel the plot forward because yeah. until then you you had stuff like Showboat or Pal Joey which did have character development numbers but also had a lot of like here's a musical number and now number. here's a number yes and then everything else was shows like uh, if you took development to the American musical in your college you'll know uh, this theater the Princess Theater uh, where mm-hmm. Jerome Kern used to cut his teeth is that the term I want to use yes but yes, the Princess Theater was had a lot of shows that were like a lot of them. The way you can best describe them were like like uh, college like college musicals like No No Nanette, where it was a lot of like there was the plot and then the song would happen. So it would be yeah. things like and the songs were all popular songs. Yes, um, often to get, become popular songs. Yes, yeah. exactly. And they were all songs that like people would listen to and like sell the sheet music for mm-hmm. and would be playing on the radio and yes. stuff. And so it's like a scene would be to propel the plot and then the song would be to be a break from the plot. So exactly. it kind would of be like, like opera. Yes, that's like plot, 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 and they'd be like. Hey Charlotte, do you know what day it is? And then Charlotte was saying, "It's Tuesday, it's Tuesday," and like, and everybody like, "Oh yes, that's that's the big hit song yeah. from Hey Charlotte." Or they'd be like this big love scene, and then they'd have a moment where they just go, "I'm in love," mm-hmm. and then we'd be like, hey, "And three minutes later, I'm in the same place yes. at the end of the song that I was when I started, mm-hmm. but maybe we kissed." Yes. So whereas where Showboat kind of planted the seed, and it slowly kind of started to sprout. By the time it got to Oklahoma, Rodgers and Hammerstein really were like, "Okay, we get this formula." Yes. So let's take all the things that people have been like playing with yeah. like, and go balls deep. If we're talking structurally, mm-hmm. Oklahoma is a perfect musical. Mm-hmm. Like 100% beginning to end, it is a perfect musical. We can also break it down and say like, yes, it does have its flaws, but just sure. purely in terms of like the book, the structure, the structure, structurally of technically speaking, yes. it is a perfect musical. Yes. Every moment is needed. You cut something, you lose something. You lose something, exactly. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that even goes to show that we have this revival right now which is night and day different Mm -hmm. and even still they did not change a single word that is really really fucking telling that they didn't have to change anything Mm -hmm. and the story still works and the show still gets told I think the best revivals are the ones that trust the text Mm -hmm. because if you don't trust the text don't revive the show if you you don't trust the text you think you're better than the text in Mm -hmm. which case that's arrogant and just write your own show yes (laughs) yes very so. Although I'm assuming we will get into this revival towards the end of this, and I have lots to say about about Oklahoma. Cur- about Oklahoma that fucks or Stroklahoma. Oklahoma but, that fucks. Okay, great. <laughs> I, mean, I have thoughts about it too. I overall really enjoyed it. Um, I had some issues, but mostly just like aesthetic stuff. Um, I appreciated them n- trusting the text on a lot of elements of it. Yeah. Um, because 
we had come off of another Rodgers and Hammerstein revival where the director did not trust the text one bit and I wanted I'm I understand he's a very lovely man, but after seeing that revival, I did want to punch him in the face. I had some very sincere qualms with Carousel, mostly, but also Carousel, unlike Oklahoma, is not a perfect musical. I think it has Car- some serious oh, Carousel. When it is great, it is some of the best that musical theater yes. has to offer. But when it lacks, it's also oh, what a real nice climax, which is tough. Yes. Well, so I would say I would argue there's a difference between perfect and great so like mm-hmm. i would say oklahoma and south pacific are more structurally sound than carousel in the sense of like yes. it's a lot harder to fuck them up yeah you can see a high school production of guys and dolls and be able to tolerate it absolutely and yeah like there are shows like that that are just purely indestructible yes um hairspray is one of them yes uh it's it's usually the lighter shows but they're being oklahoma can go pretty fucking dark as we currently know mm-hmm. carousel <laughs> well, i would say reaches the hot, I mean, it's, again, it's only because it's very personal for me because it is my favorite show. Mm-hmm. I think it reaches levels of greatness that very few musicals ever have, but it is also one of the most delicate shows to do well. Yes, and you can do three. it poorly so easily. easily. It is not a show that speaks for itself. No, you really... You really have to frame the story mm-hmm. in order to make it sing. And I would argue, even though because the score is so beautiful, and it, I wouldn't say it's... It's interesting when people are like, well, you really need strong singers. You do, because it's a beautiful score. You, do, you need actors. Yeah, you really need actors. Because if you look actors. at the text of the bench scene leading into If I Love You, mm-hmm. it is sparse. It is. None of them are saying how they feel. None of them are saying what they mean. So much of it is unspoken, yeah. and it's very, very easy to not get the point. And when you think about it, it's about a two-hour and 50-minute musical. Of those two hours and 50 minutes, I would say both Julie Jordan and Billy Bigelow spend a total of, like, uh, separately, but total of their time spend like about twenty minutes singing. There's that means there's about another two hours plus of where they have to talk and act. Mm-hmm. So you really need good actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a perfect world, yes, they've got the most beautiful voices and are incredible actors as well. That's not always the case. I mean, also again, segueing back to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. what is her name in place, Lori? Josephina Gabrielle. Josephina Gabrielle is. Not the strongest singer. No. She's not the strongest singer, but she is a hella good actor. And, yeah. as we see in the second act, first act, as, as we see in the end of the first act, a gorgeous ballerina. Yeah, she's a beautiful ballerina. And you kind of forgive her for not being the strongest singer because she's an incredible, incredible actor. Mm-hmm. And she gives a whole new life to a lawyer that you never really see if you're going to compare it to, say, Shirley Jones in the movie, mm-hmm. who is a very classic ingenue Mm -hmm. very dainty very dainty very delicate gorgeous singer a little boring yes i'm always acting first josephina gabrielle they do change some of the keys for her uh make it more belty for her yeah which i like but you know what i love more than anything is that she walks out makes her first entrance in freaking overalls Mm -hmm. because she's a farm girl and there is nothing i love more than a spunky ingenue Mm -hmm. it is my favorite thing in the world many a new face will please my eye many a new love will find me never have i once looked back to sigh over the romance behind me many a new day will dawn before i do um which is part of why this production like means so much to me is because it's the first time that i had ever seen a soprano role with balls you know, yeah. with, you know, spunk, with grit, with who's scrappy. She and fights back. She fights back. And so her relationship with Curly isn't like, oh, 
like they're they're bickering with each other like uh-huh. an old freaking married couple which yeah. makes it really fucking hot yeah oh my god her the people will say they're say we're in love is so like ha it's so cute the tension is great it's as well as the scene in the second act leading into let people say we're in love yes. when they finally like same thing with if i loved you and how i loved you mm. oscar hammerstein understood the unconditional love song and he really originated it Damn um, straight he did. Yeah, because in life, and it's what I love about Oklahoma and Carousel and all that stuff, the relationship between Curly and, and Lori is sort of, the only thing getting their way is pride. Yes. And, and I would say social norms. Because famously in the show, it's, you know, the farmers and the cowmen are butting heads. Well, you know, one man likes to push a plow, the other likes to chase a cow. But that's no reason why they can't be friends. First of all, how dare you fat shame people? <gasps> I can chase whoever I want. <laughs> and how dare yeah. you call my husband, Jonathan Groff, a plow? I will push him. <gasps> but yes, pride, social norms, because it's very clear that they desire each other on certain levels. Yes. I mean, it's very clear from their first thing. You're like, well, there's no reason for them not to end yes. up together. You know. Yes. But it's more about it's the how. How, how and the when. And you see, he's more open about the attraction but it's it's similar like if i loved you where it's the i'm not gonna say anything till you say something Mm -hmm. no you you gotta say it and that's very realistic because our pride gets in the way all the damn time well it's also it's a fear of vulnerability Mm -hmm. you know it's like i don't want rejection yeah it's a fear of rejection if you're saying i don't want to say this if you don't feel the same way so if you don't say it first i'm not gonna say it even though it's how everyone else Mm -hmm. knows that we both feel the same way yes yes it's Unlike Lovely. in life, I've never experienced that. <laughs> Charlotte has everything together emotionally, mentally. I am in a very emotionally secure person. Yeah, she's sitting. I'm also a liar. <laughs> anyway, uh... <laughs> so necessary. So let's go back into the stroke, Oklahoma. What? Yes. So, and it's actually it's important that we bring up Carousel because mm-hmm. it came next. It well, it, Carousel came first in the revival section because I'm talking about stroke, Oklahoma, in terms of. Uh, oh, so yes. it back. In terms of being written, Oklahoma came first and then Carousel was the next thing. Yeah. In terms of revival expectations, I say this all the time, before the 94 Carousel, which originated... The Nekeitner one. The Nekeitner one. Which, well, which origi- I call the definitive Carousel. Ditto. Um, oh, did I tell you they got lunch with Nekeitner in London? Lol. That's not necessary for this, but I just really felt... Like- no, but I need, the, I need the audience to know that my face is stone cold. Because, goddammit, all I want to do is meet him. I literally got off the plane, had 20 minutes to, like, shower and make myself look like a human, and then had lunch with... The, Nicholas Heitner. The Nicholas Heitner. Tony-winning, Olivier-winning director, former artistic director of The National, personally responsible for making The National internationally relevant to mm-hmm. everyone via The National Theater Live broadcast. Um, and brought them, I think, into their most, like, financially and artistically successful period. Because mm-hmm. they were in a big decline before he came on. Oh, yeah. And now I just created this new theater called the Bridge, the Bridge. Theater, which I, I visited. Went I went there, too. gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Right their the lobby, the Bridge. Their lobby is, bri- is beautiful with mm-hmm. the floating lanterns. I saw funny, funny. I saw a production director called Alleluia when I was in London last year. I knew nothing about it, but I knew that he directed it, and I demanded to see it. Um, Correct. As yes. well you should. He's... Uh, Anyway, so Carousel, so before, the so before, yes, which also originated at the at the national. At the national. Uh, before that revival, most revivals of musicals, especially of the golden age, were more like nostalgic revivals. So they either were as com- opposed to reinvention. Yes, so they were either complete recreations of the original, like 
Oklahoma in 79 or Bob Fosse's Sweet Charity or Jerome Robbins with West Side Story or they were kind of glowing homages Mm -hmm. like Guys and Dolls with Faith Prince or Patti LuPone and Anything Goes. And more just like let's bring this show to a new audience so that Mm -hmm. they know that this show existed because they weren't around to see the original production. Exactly. Like the historical value of it. Exactly. It was more about honoring the place that these shows hold in musical theater history and keeping that alive as opposed to taking it and reinventing it for a modern, modern audience. Yes. And with Carousel, Richard Eyre, I think that's his name, E-Y-R-E, is that Eyre? Richard Eyre, Eyre. He was the artistic Jane's director. Brother. Jane, brother, brother of Jane. Um, <laughs> brother of Jane. He was the artistic director of The National at the time in the early 90s. He wanted to take Golden Age musicals and he was like, what if we uh, examined them like they were... Miller or Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Miller. Well, classic text. text or contemporary the, text. Yeah, contemporary text. And then Nicholas Heiner was like, well, yeah, he found the script of Carousel. He's like, this seems surprisingly relevant. I was very, he was like, I was very taken aback. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, what if I treated this like this was written today? Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. And that was like revolutionary at the yeah, time. And I think that's the same thing that Bart Sherr did with South Pacific. Absolutely. The best revivals do like, you treat the text with respect in the sense of like, don't, if they're, they're not trying to reinvent the no. show, they're not trying to make the show something that it isn't, no. but they're trying to take the show based on solely the text as opposed to pre earlier no. productions. Give audiences the same feeling today as they did when it opened. The same feeling of newness. No expectations. Exactly. But still respecting the show. Yes. And that carousel was very famously called the dark carousel, but carousel is dark. The carousel is... It's about... It's not... Nick Heiner I, has I always said... I don't want said, to say it's about domestic violence, but it's about fucking domestic violence. No, it is. It doesn't, it doesn't condone domestic violence, but it is about it. It is about domestic and violence because, and domestic violence. Well, and it's about toxic masculinity because it's... Billy is a character, and I'm... A deeply, deeply flawed character. Deeply flawed character. It, what makes him... And it, Julie is they're both, deeply they're broken. Both, they're both yeah, hot she's, messes. She's highly intelligent and yet stays in a situation that she knows and everyone knows is not good for her Mm -hmm. and he's someone who wants to do good but literally has no idea how to do it and rather than ask for help he has it all turned into poison inward and strikes out at the people Mm -hmm. that can help him Mm -hmm. and it's almost like a morality tale and whereas in Lilium the the play that it's based off of the ending is sort of like you know this is what happens when you when you hit other people when you don't ask for help when you don't reach out Carousel gives it a brief glimmer of hope at the end. He was like, it's not a perfect ending for everybody, but you can find redemption in the end if you do at if you do at one point accept responsibility for your actions and do yeah. like try to do Admission better. Admission of fault is incredibly important. Exactly, which is where the show ends, but people think that it's condoning domestic violence to which I say I mean, it's a very, it's a very, very dangerous line because you could read it that way and you could tell the story that way very, very easily. Well, I would prefer for it not to be that way, but. And we've, we've come so far in musical theater writing in terms of the intricacies of, of music and character development. But in a lot of ways we have regressed in a way because we are less inclined to write characters that are in a gray moral area, Mm -hmm. um, which is where we all truly are as people like exactly. no one is a saint all day every day we except uh, for me except for you we've all done stuff that we regret that has not been good for other people it takes a minute to think about it because we mm-hmm. all look back on our memories with us as the victim think mm-hmm. I, that's something i realized the other day i'm like in all my memories i'm the victim i'm like and i know that's not true i definitely have like done shitty stuff in my past yeah. um again not me 
No, not you. You've never done nothing wrong, except oh. never listened to this podcast. Ah, okay, I've done one thing. One thing. I've done one thing wrong. We, we cut 30 minutes of me crying when Charlotte says she'd never listened. Um, <laughs> but that is sort of where Roger and Hammerstein really kind of made their name was these characters who felt so human because they all lived in sort of a gray area. We're like, mm-hmm. they might have been charismatic, but they also you know, uh, were very self-centered yeah. or very childish or they were very smart, but they were impulsive and like, mm-hmm. who can't relate to that? Yeah, exactly. Which is what, I, and that energy carried over to the Stroklahoma of taking mm-hmm. another Rodgers and Hammerstein text that had a lot of sex and violence and complicated characters and mm-hmm. bringing it to the forefront, which is now the floor for Charlotte Malpe to expand upon that. <gasps> oh no, oh no, give me something more specific to say. Uh, oh, oh, let's <laughs> go on to the character of Judd, which oh, this production exactly. was very okay. famous for. So, Yes, Lonely Room is a song that gets cut a lot in a lot of like high school productions or and, and a lot of people say that it doesn't really fit in to the tone of the rest of the show because it's very dark. Um, and it, I will argue that Lonely Room is one of the most emotionally complex songs in the RNH canon, mm-hmm. if not 100% the most emotionally complex song in Oklahoma. Right up there with Clambake from Carousel. Uh, and the girl I want Also, Shuler Hensley as Judd Fry is not only very dark and twisty, but very sweet and vulnerable mm-hmm. and emotionally fucking complicated. Mm-hmm. He, you, he, he makes you sympathize with this character and understand that he's not just your cookie-cutter villain. He is someone who life has not been kind to him and mm-hmm. he is working with the situations that he has and also Shuler Hensley kind of played him as someone who's a little bit off yeah as something who like probably has probably is a bit on the spectrum has some like mental health issues mm-hmm. and has these feelings for this girl and does not know how to handle it and that is so much more interesting to me than oh he's the bad guy mm-hmm and that's what makes him more sympathetic and Lonely Room is a is a point where you peer into Judd's life and Judd's mind and you understand that he is fucking trying his best Mm -hmm. and you know life has not been kind to him and he does not live in a world where he is able to break out of what he has and yes that's beautifully said Mm -hmm. um it's important to know with characters to make characters more sympathetic does not necessarily mean that we condone negative actions that they do which is and I say this coming back from Carousel and the gray areas that we were talking about the complexity of characters Mm -hmm. you knowing where a character comes from doesn't necessarily mean if they do something violent or vicious we're like well it's fine it's because of X, Y, and Z it's because he's complicated no 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 you can still say I know why you did that you did a shit thing yeah but we but it's more interesting there's a difference between you did a bad thing and you're a bad person. Yes. And I feel like that is a huge, huge, huge difference. Absolutely. It's it, And that is what makes drama. That's what makes drama. It, it's what makes drama. Yeah. That's what makes drama. That's what makes drama. <laughs> um, it's, and I mean, think about it. That's literally the basis of Sweeney Todd. I was just going to say Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd was a... A good he's man. He's an anti-hero. He's, yeah. yeah, but he was a good man who circumstances si- turned evil. Yes, and you know it, we all have choices that we make, but sometimes life drives us to that fork in the road where, like, 
it may, and you it makes you question like if I were in your shoes I'm not sure what I would do because there's always yeah the 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 phrase that people like to use and it's currently a song in Hades Town but when the chips are down you know it's we all we we can theorize what we would do to the day is done mm-hmm. but there are always going to be situations where that take you by surprise that completely back you into a corner and you you might act in yeah. a way that you never thought you would yeah. One hundred percent. I mean, I myself have found myself in situations where I've behaved in ways that I would never condone otherwise. But then tracing my, I know I've already for, said this. No, no, I've said no. For example, not inviting me to your bat mitzvah. If you had gotten an invitation for my bat mitzvah, you would have said, "Who is this girl?" You did not know me yet. <laughs> I did not. But then you showed me, like, two years later, a video of Liz Calloway singing at your bat mitzvah. And I was like, how dare you not know me at that time? I mean, it's fine. It's whatever. Bernadette Peters also sent a video. <laughs> it's fine. I just threw a wet paper towel at Charlotte and missed, even though she's a foot away from me. Theater Sports. kids. Sports! Theater kids! <laughs> Speaking of bat mitzvahs, Speaking you know of- who's never had a bat mitzvah? Any of the characters in Oklahoma. <laughs> They are all. That is my favorite segue. <laughs> not a Jew in sight. Not a Jew. Mm, well, no, I guess not. Part of me has always wondered uh, if Ali Hakim is a little bit Jew. Well, in this current revival in the, in the Oklahoma that fucks, the he actor, seems super. Jew. Yeah, the character they the actor they got to play him is the brother in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and so he doesn't come across as. Uh, he's supposed to be Persian, right? Persian. Yeah. I was about to say Prussian. 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 Well, First it, of all, R.I.P. Yeah. Second of all, Persian. No. He comes across like a Jewish boy, but that actually gives an interesting Because idea. he looks like a guy who's lying. Well, yeah, because it's like, well, well, he is a con man, Ali Hakim. Yeah. So, like, what if he... And to talk about, like, making a character more sympathetic, what if he is an American Jew who is tri- who in order to survive has created this persona to make himself seem more exotic because if he's from back in back in the days when the south was okay with people from outside the country coming in right um he well, was like lol remember those golden age days but oops. he he's like well i am i'm not jewish i'm persian mm-hmm. and i have all these spices and whatnot clearly all of them are fucking Stupid and yeah, and it's not just real. you know soap, water, and glitter. Exactly. Um, um, but like who? But it goes to these people well, who have never been outside of the like few kilometers that they live in. Kilometers. What? Kilometers. Yeah. Kilometers. 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 I've been in Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, though, what a great metaphor for theater: it's simply soap, water, and glitter. Ah, uh, so simply <laughs> soap, water, glitter. Shake, shake, shake. Musical. Be gay. Um, but yeah. Glitter and be gay. Soap, water, glitter, and be gay. That's the part I play. That's the part we all play, bitch. Uh, Here I am in no, Oklahoma. No, different. <laughs> God damn it. These segues are Tony Award worthy, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. No, but that's something in the current Oklahoma that I... I didn't make the connection when it was happening, but when I walked out of the theater, I was like, hmm... I feel like that's an interesting choice and, like, could totally work. It's not necessarily in the text, but it's something yeah. you could do. Yeah. I mean, my my take on the revival of... It's also really tough because this version that we were speaking at, Stroke, Oklahoma, is so ingrained in my head and my heart. Absolutely. Uh, that um, it, it's... For me, I felt like I was seeing a lot of very interesting directorial choices as mm-hmm. opposed to storytelling. Sure. And speaking purely for my own taste of what I like in theater, that wasn't really enough for me. Mm-hmm. I would rather just, you know, tell the damn story as opposed to trying to project something on top of it. Mm-hmm. However, one thing that I find like super, super interesting is that the biggest fans, as far as I can tell, the biggest fans of the current revival of Oklahoma are people who have never seen Oklahoma. Yes. 
And I find that fascinating because if my takeaway is you're not really telling the story. Or people who didn't like Oklahoma before. Or people, actually, that's even better. There are people who've never seen Oklahoma or people who hate Oklahoma. And actually, one of my favorite things that uh, someone said to me, ironically, Lucas McMahon, our <laughs> Audrey too, is that he feels like this. And also is on this podcast. And also is on this podcast. Hello. I wouldn't know. Uh, I'm, I'm informing you, bitch. <laughs> uh, sorry, I thought that was with a, a, a exclamation point. Um, <sighs> said that he's like, I feel like this is a revival done by someone who hates Oklahoma. Interesting. I didn't get that from the show. I because I, I maybe didn't necessarily because I went in expecting because what you were saying earlier about you know directorial choices. It's one of the reasons why I don't like Ivo Van Hoffe as a director, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. director of Network and mm-hmm. the most recent mm-hmm. Crucible, and why mm-hmm. I'm not really excited for his West Side. Uh, yeah, and I, it's controversial. Sure. Very controversial. I did not love Crucible. I enjoyed. I did not Cru- see Network. I enjoyed Crucible. In a way, only because only because only because Ben Wishaw and Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> yes, and also because by that point, also there's a wolf. There was a wolf on stage. I by that point I had also, seen it's such a good play. Sorry, I will not let you finish the sentence. You will not. I had seen View from the Bridge. Uh huh. Um, and I did and not. How was it? I did not care for it. Mm-hmm. I thought. Speaking of things where I was like, how was the view? <laughs> the view was cloudy. Cloud. Um, I was. I said. I was with Natalie Walker. Natalie Walker and I saw View from the Bridge together. And after, and there was one scene in particular that's normally in the play. It's at a dinner table. And it's very... <coughs> and she died. The and very then next day. she died. Um, it's a, it, and again, it's, I'm not one who's like, it has to be done the way it was written. Like the way it's originally. Like mm-hmm. read the text and see what comes for you. But Love there, a reinvention. But there was a, there was a scene where... They normally are all around a dinner table, and it's all about how the tension builds to a point where, like, it gets to this fist fight. In the Eva Van Hoffe production, he put them all, like, six feet away from each other. What a wonderful number I just came up with. Six feet away. Hey! And had them each, like, take a beat before they each set a line in a very slow manner, and there was a light buzzing underneath it all. And I went, what a beautiful acting exercise that you made people pay Broadway prices for. Um, Ooh, because love that, yeah. Because I was like, I would totally do this as an acting exercise with my cast to like feel the tension, really get it, and then take what they got from it and put it into the scene. But after the cloudy view, and then after uh, I saw Lazarus as well with Ali Gordon, mm-hmm. where we famously shouted out loud in the dark, "Is that Alan Cumming?" It's a long well, story, but just well. know that in the play Lazarus, Alan Cumming murdered Sophia and Caruso. Um, oh, but that sh- that too. show was completely just bonkers, right? Um, and so I went to Crucible. Remember the David you- Bowie thing? Yeah, and I just went to Crucible, being like, "What are you gonna do? Throw it at me!" Just, just go I'm for it. ready. So like, I didn't enjoy it in terms of, "Oh my god, what a great way to do the Crucible." I enjoyed it in terms of a, "Huh, there's a wolf on stage. Huh, right. They're fucking floating." Yeah, that's the thing. If if I'm sitting there and I'm seeing the director's choices, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing the director say, "Ooh, wouldn't it be clever if?" Mm-hmm. Immediately, I'm taken out. No, it's all about and that the... that but there are actually very very few times that I've sat through a show mm-hmm. that was very like gimmicky mm-hmm. and actually enjoyed it. I think one of the only times was Groundhog Day. I actually like kind of loved Groundhog I Day. Love and that Groundhog was one of the Day. few times that I was like, this show has so many gimmicks mm-hmm. and I actually am here for them because mm-hmm. they're forwarding the plot and they're serving the show. Like all the things where he's killing himself and all this stuff I mm-hmm. thought was very clever mm-hmm. but not in a way that was detracting from the storytelling. One day we're going to get a stripped down color purple-esque revival of Groundhog Day and everyone's <sighs> going to realize what a good show it is. It's a great show. It is a it's great about show. 
here's the thing. Speaking Do- of complicated characters and yes. character arcs. Yes. I mean, here's the thing. Do we need a story about a sexist pig learning to be a little less sexist? Rather than just telling a story at this about... Mo- at this moment in time... At that moment in time, maybe not. And that I remember feeling like, mm, do I need this right now? No. Is the show great? Amazing. Yes. Tim Minchin is brilliant, and I literally has not gotten the break that I think he deserves. I think that Matilda is... Matilda losing Best Musical to... and Best Score yes. to Kinky Boots will never not upset me. Same. And I've made my thoughts on Kinky Boots clear on this podcast. I don't think Kinky Boots is bad i just i think i think matilda is truly a brilliant musical my house is a brilliant song because it's one of the few modern musical theater songs that doesn't address the issue head on it tries to avoid the issue that's at hand which is my favorite thing to Mm -hmm. add that is miller that is williams that is blanche dubois that is that is blanche dubois that is also we can talk about fucking streetcar because i went through i watched that show i watched that uh movie uh two times in uh, 48 hours Last, well, I mean, two weeks ago. Vivian Lee, baby. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. Let, well, actually, we'll, we can talk about more things about it, but I would like to just dedicate a big chunk to this because the reason why it's called Strokelhoma in your world mm-hmm. is because of... The story-driven choreography. Yes, which Oklahoma was, first of all, very famous for doing... With that, with. with the Agnes Mill choreography, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's Agnes Mill was a ballet choreographer, and then also was the choreographer for Rodeo and for this production. And it, it basically much Look at like you mentioned in Rodeo. I always called it Rodeo. <laughs> How dare you? I mean, you read it; it reads like Rodeo. It reads like Rodeo. How air? Um, but. Uh, much like how Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote the first like real story-driven musical, mm-hmm. the choreography s- serves that same purpose and that same mm-hmm. structure, and that's what makes it so um, incredible. Both in between, um, you know, the dream ballet, which is a ballet that tells a specific story, not according to the most recent Broadway revival, where it is a butt scooching uh, boot number. Yes. Um, my my issue with the choreography in this current revival is I understand they're trying to do the same thing that the ballet has always done which is it's Laurie's psyche on basalt sure and it but was an abstract more modern contemporary my, my dance. issue is I, I because I don't understand modern dance or have a good vocabulary of it I did not know what any of the dance moves meant yeah well yeah that's kind of the problem and also it just <laughs> wasn't good choreography you know yeah. what I mean it just wasn't good you also just you looked at me like I was the biggest idiot in the world <laughs> when I said that you're like yeah I mean that's part of the problem. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, I'm just not used to people looking at me like I'm an idiot when it comes to musical theater. Oh, so, honey. <laughs> oh, honey, boo boo child. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, right. So, yes, the dance. Yes, the choreography. Um, like, you can even see it in, like, The Farmer and the Cowman, how it's not just, like, a, a dainty little, you know, fun. Yeah ho-down dance number, it is filled with so much tension yes. and 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 anger and fighting. Mm-hmm. And the song, therefore, has a purpose because there is an action that Aunt Eller is playing, which is actually trying to create peace. Yes. And that is so interesting. And it's even the same thing with, like, uh, Everything's Up to Date in Kansas City, how it's, it's about teaching the people in his town mm-hmm. um, what he learned and like teaching them these new dance moves and like hey look at my new trick I just got a lasso yeah. look what I can do with it and how it's not just and now I have a dance with a lasso it's it's plot driven yeah. it's story driven everything has a purpose well it it, it, it 
it'll eventually travel back to the end of the show because what that number is, and again, remember a time when the South felt this way, it's the excitement of progression. Mm-hmm. It's the look at what's happening in the world and isn't this and amazing. And that's the essence of what the show is. Mm-hmm. It's about progress and it's about, you know, the, the this little patch of dirt marking its place in history. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. Yes. And, yeah. yes. and Agnes DeMille did become like, a nationally known name after Oklahoma. She was a well-respected choreographer, but officially made her mark in theater with Oklahoma, with Mm -hmm. the Dream Ballet. And until the mid-90s, her choreography was like definitive definitive and canon like Oklahoma canon and then much like how you can't really do Course Line without the Michael Bennett choreography it was like that and then enter little old blonde Susan Stroman and she was like hold my black baseball cap I'm gonna come up hold my beer hold my beer I got I got an idea I got an idea and then came up with some choreography that to this day blows my mind yeah because what I love about what she did and you can of course talk about more as it is your obsession (gasps) um but I always overpower in these obsessions because I'm me. But that choreography, it's the same mentality that DeMille had, which was, again, character-driven and less of, how do I break out of the DeMille mold and more, how do I take that same mentality and apply mm-hmm. it to modern-day audiences? Exactly, and it wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. It wasn't no. trying to do better than what already was. It was trying. It was honoring yeah. everything that Agnes DeMille was as a choreographer, but creating something yeah. new. Well, because the audience's taste change and what we expect from dancing. Like, mm-hmm. so much happened between 1943 when Oklahoma opened and 1975 when the chorus line opened. Like, you look at the two dances it's in those shows. completely different. So different. And then so much happened. But it's still ballet. So Still ballet. Like, the, the core technique and principle mm-hmm. is there. But then 75 to 98, so much has changed. So, like, mm-hmm. Strowman was just saying, like, I want to get audiences to feel the way they felt in 1943. Mm-hmm. You can't do DeMille anymore because there's literally, there are dance moves in Oklahoma in DeMille's choreography where it's like, women are just like prancing around the stage, like bursting pretend bubbles. Mm-hmm. And it's like beautiful in a very like old school, modern ballet dance kind of way. Right. But audiences yeah. would not know what to do with that today. But also, Stroman's choreographer was honoring that particular production's mentality. Mm-hmm. And that's just not something that you would want in a different production. Like, no. you wouldn't want a, Agnes Nimble's choreography in this production of Oklahoma because this production of Oklahoma is framing the story in a slightly different way that it's, it's Strowman is honoring. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. grittier. It's tougher. The men are men. The men are men. I mean, if you look at the, the Dream Ballet, I mean, Hugh Jackman and Shirley Hensley are in the Dream Ballet. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not pretty. No. And that's what, that's what I like. There's a difference between professional and pretty so like yes so like dancing can be professional and still have like grit and toughness mm-hmm. to it which is what i love about all that choreography in the 94 carousel like it, these are working class people they're not going to dance like they're in a sab class like understanding that jigger is not someone who's about to do triple tours yes but even like the mill girls like they dance beautifully but not in the like i went to ballet and went with the yeah. joffrey it's it's the technique is there at the core of it, but character defines it and makes it different. Exactly. That is- Which is why it's so engaging to have the actual Laurie dancing her own mm-hmm. dream ballet is because she is an actor mm-hmm. and is has and you, you've been following her arc through that character and then seeing her go through that whole expression yes. is completely... It has a completely different impact than when you have someone else representing mm-hmm. what it is you've been seeing. Yes. And and just on a purely personal level, when you if you do go online to watch it, because the ballet is up there, it's on mm-hmm. YouTube. All everything we're talking about is on YouTube. The, watching Josephina Gabrielle dance the dream ballet, in addition to it just being wonderful to see Lori actually do it, she's so emotive when she dances. It's how you can tell she is both a beautiful dancer and an actress, because mm-hmm. it's not just the moves, it's how she inhabits the moves. Yeah. And there's 
Like we there's were, that moment in the like the saloon part of the mm-hmm. dream ballet where she finally like gives into her sexiness Sexu- a little for bit. For a little bit, yeah. She's with the there's a famous part in the dream ballet where uh Lori imagines the saloon girls who are on these postcards that Judd has on his wall, like the sexy women. Mm-hmm. And it's there's a lot of commentary in the show on sort of the Madonna and the whore complex that America is obsessed with for women where like you can either be virginal and marriage material or you can be a whore and dance in the saloon I'm like you can be both Sex and the Mm -hmm. City taught us that but uh, you do see that moment in this ballet where Lori joins the saloon girls uh, and does these little high kicks with them. Yeah. And with each kick she enjoys it more and more and then you see herself hate her you see her hate herself for enjoying those kicks. Mm-hmm. But then you also see, because we were talking earlier, she shows up in the beginning of the show in overalls. She then puts on a, a clean dress and scrubs herself all nice and purty for the, for the, what's it called? The, square the dance? The box social. The box social. I'm like, it's not the square dance. Um, Although it might as well be. There's something about when she's... You know that they she, make the lunch boxes? <laughs> So it's a box social because they do a little um, yeah, they do, yeah the little the... picnic-y basket box yeah, socials yeah then... but I forgot the actual name of it is all how dare you I'm sorry uh... I'm sorry everybody um, but there's a moment in it where the stage goes completely uh, bare for her and two other girls these like twin Greek chorus-y girls I don't know how to describe them the one with the pigtails they're, they're the two dancers they're the two dancers <laughs> they're the ones who sort of they they start the dream ballet yes. and they bring Lori into yeah, it yeah they they're, bring her into it they're her friends and they're mm-hmm. playful well it starts with them this little like they're toying back and forth or they take the potion and they're and they're, playing well, catch well, with well them. first their arms shut out of the husks of corn which is a great oh, opening yes. visual yes uh, and there's what, a great shot that's in the, the DVD but obviously wasn't in the Broadway production when they're running through the corn maze yes. and you're like ah Yes, exactly. And then they play, you know, catch with the with the bottle of yeah, and smell and salt. They all dance, but and then, then they get to the, yeah, back. they go into that big ba da 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 da, and you just see Josephine Gabrielle be this beautiful dancer, and it's almost Lori. I I interpret it as Lori like embracing the girly girly ishness of herself for just a moment. Yeah, because even if she's not a total girly girl, she can let herself enjoy being a girly girl for a minute. Absolutely. Um, because we, as we're all complex, we all have any exactly. facets. Exactly. She is both the girl in the overalls and the little girl in the dress and the girl kicking her face in the saloon. She Absolutely. is all of those things. She is and all that's those why things. this production is so amazing. just a little doughy-eyed ingenue. She's not. And then in Act 2, and you see that grit come back in Act 2 at the box social when she's alone with Judd and you see, first of all, how nervous she is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And how vulnerable she is and how she really is just like a scared little girl. Yeah, she is really actually scared of him. Um, Mm -hmm. And and Jeweler Hensley is terrifying. Like, you, it's, what makes it even more terrifying is that you see his, him at his most raw in Act 1 with Lonely Room and Mm -hmm. then seeing how raw he can get and seeing her alone with Josephine and Gabrielle, you're like, what's he going to do? I know, like, I know how dark he can get. What's he going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then seeing her fight back and just tear into him, that's when she's like, I have, like, I may be wearing a dress and I may be, you know, pretty to you, mm-hmm. but I am a woman yeah. and you will respect me and you can go away now. You can go suck a dick. Go suck a dick, Judd. <laughs> that is, that is, that is the, underlying theme of that scene go suck a dick jen yes uh but yeah like that's all that's all the facets of Lori. Mm-hmm. that would what a great 
other title for Oklahoma. The Facet- many facets of Lori. Or just facets, facets of, of Lori. Lori. Like Ooh, facets, facets of Lori. Like facts of life, but facets of Lori. I was like, why does that sound like a thing? Facets of Lori. All right, we're not doing or, this. Or, or that'd be a great Taylor Swift song, Facets of Lori. <gasps> Oh my god, calling her right now. Also, side note, has anyone told you... That I look like Taylor Swift? Yes. You don't look like Taylor Swift, but here's what you do look like. Taylor Swift at the beginning of You Need to Calm Down video. <laughs> Just at the beginning when she's making herself the cotton candy martini. You know when I look exactly like Taylor Swift is in her... The entire music video of Delicate from her album before yes, that. Yes, where she's doing Most, the like, boppity dance. Yeah, you're like, is she doing this on purpose like does she think she looks good is she just dancing like a fool Mm -hmm. who's to say but it's especially the point where she looks in the mirror Mm -hmm. looks at her reflection and then just makes a silly face Mm -hmm. i literally i like there are many many times throughout my life where i was like oh my god like i'm accidentally becoming taylor swift and then at that moment i went no 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 taylor swift is becoming me yeah i mean there are worse things to be than taylor swift but there are no worse things to be than becoming you Ah, I have no flaws. No, no flaws whatsoever. But I like I, this running joke. Every, t- every time I do watch You Need to Calm Down, which I've, I've watched it many a time. Oh, it's delightful. The first minute where she is in her trailer and she's making herself the martini, mm-hmm. it's it's both the way she, she's made up and also the faces she makes. Because it's not like funny faces. It's just, it's like an attitude yeah. that I've seen you make I those do. faces before. It's I the, love the mentality of that song. That's just like, it's 7 a.m. Yeah, yeah, sh- calm down. Just like, you need, you need to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn, it's 7 a.m. Lover is a phenomenal album. I mean, instant classic. Instant classic. I don't love The Archer, but I like pretty much everything else. I, um, it's fine. Um, you know what Taylor Swift did, right? Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> you know what Taylor Swift did it, right? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I want that on a t-shirt. I want that on a fucking bumper sticker. I want it tattooed on my butt cheek. Although, like, could we see Taylor Swift in, like, a modern day movie remake of as Lori? I mean, she's in Cats. She is in Cats. She is in Cats. Here's the thing. I think Taylor Swift is a wonderful songwriter. Oh, she's a brilliant she's a songwriter. She's a brilliant songwriter. Oh, you call me up again just to break me like a promise so casually cruel in the name of being honest? Why that should is... a woman who is healthy and strong love like, like a baby when her baby runs away? away? We've been on a whale and now he's done her wrong. That's, That's one, one thing, thing you'll, you'll never, never hear me say. This, I have to say, <laughs> this isn't the gayest episode I've ever had, but this might be the nerdiest. And Definitely for, the nerdiest. And for that, I say grab my boob, Charlotte Malfi. Honestly, I should be so lucky. My left teat. That's one facet of Lori right there. Ah, uh, one of the many. Facets of Lori. Facets of Lori. My Fac- little pony. pony. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Facets of Lori. Facets, facets of, of Lori. That's terrible. Oh, no. We're going to, okay, here's what we're going to do. Okay. We're going to turn Oklahoma into a 70s sitcom starring <gasps> Taylor Swift. And it's called Facets of Lori. And that's the theme song. <gasps> facets of Lori. Facets, facets of, of Lori. Lori. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. So I keep forgetting that we're being recorded. I just feel like I, we're, right, we're just out. talking. But um, <laughs> I mean, we were talking a great deal about Strowman's choreography. So like that, check that box for me. Yeah. Um, but so like, let's talk more about like the attitude. So first of all, we call it Stroklahoma because of Susan Strowman. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, that's just how we've always referred to it mm-hmm. as. And I feel like especially now in comparison to the most recent revival, mm-hmm. because I always just referred to that was Oklahoma to me, was mm-hmm. that DVD of Hugh Jackman and Susan Sherman's sure. Oklahoma. Um, to me, much like the Nick Heitner version, Stroke Oklahoma is the definitive Oklahoma. Absolutely. And now, because there's another revival that is light years different, yeah. now I think we just coined the term as, you know... Yeah. I'm a little less kind when it comes to Carousel. I'm like, there's the good Carousel, and then there was the recent one. Carousel. There was um, Carousel. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about Carousel, but... But that's not what this podcast is about. That's not what this about. podcast is about. Um, um, and everyone who listens to this regularly has heard my thoughts on it, so they're tired of it. So yeah. let's talk about Oklahoma, talk which about they that. haven't heard me talk about that often. <laughs> um, what... Talk to me about the attitude of this production that really has stayed with you. Of the most recent production? No, of, Stroke. Of, of, of your obsession, Stroke Um, Well, one thing I really do love about it is that you're not watching this revival and feeling like you're watching a concept. Yeah. You know, I feel like you're watching Oklahoma and you're watching this, the story be told. Yeah. And it does feel like it was not written a million years ago. It feels much more recent than it that. It feels much more recent, but it also, you know, it... it feels like a classic musical Mm -hmm. in in a way that doesn't make me want to roll my eyes it's not you know you know flash your smiles and jazz hands Mm -hmm. but it's what i love about musical theater which is storytelling and Mm -hmm. humans and complex emotions and it's just it's everything that i love about musical theater um because you know i've learned that you know a lot of the you know the commercial fluff and all that stuff is fantastic but really doesn't speak to me as deeply as something more emotionally complex Mm -hmm. as you know an rnh musical um, and also, like, I love a book-driven musical. Oh, you know, with, like, with, like, good scenes. Mm-hmm. And there, there are very few musicals that have, like... I have had the privilege of auditioning for about 12 productions of, of Oklahoma. And one thing that's really fun, also not fun, is that almost every time that I have gone in for this show, I have a different scene. Ah, oh, that's nice. Which is, which is you know, sucks because I'm constantly learning. I, I kind of feel like I know the entire script because I've gone for both Lori and Ada Wendy zillions of times and mm-hmm. I've always been doing different scenes. And working on those, that text, those words is fun because these are characters who are not saying what they mean, who are not saying what they want, who are, everything is subtextual. And it's, it's, it's emotionally complex and it's fun and it's 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 complicated and it's messy and it's human Mm -hmm. and it's something that i love so much about musical theater is that yes it has the capacity to be heightened and completely beyond the world and yes they're singing and there's dancing and there's so much that's out of the norm but there's also it's a way to peer into humanity and to look at it and to reflect and, and it's heightened enough that you can see yourself in it but it's also it's 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 all about showing what it means to be human and that is something that this production especially just does so completely and that's why you know it means so much to me <laughs> and on top of all that it has a shirtless Hugh Jackman yes it does and yes, it does. even at i think 11 when i when i first watched it at 11 i didn't know i was gay but I did know I wanted to dig my fingernails into his chest and just go down. Just have and that just feel. F- feel it. Yeah. I want, I'm want. i not a feline person, but I wanted to dig my claws into him and stay on him like a cat on a scratch post. Gory. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want no blood, but I just, wa- I just wanted to... My mind's like... No, I just wanted to attach myself to him and never move. I understand. I understand that. Just be like... Bing. Yeah. Like... Just, you know, can I please be a clip-on earring in your chest hair? 
Let's call it a day. I don't know. It's the only thing I can think of that could attach myself to his chest hair. Why would you put a clip-on earring in his chest hair? I don't know, Charlotte. Oh, my God. I don't know, Charlotte. Don't judge me. It's not so much judgment as it's just... It's, it's, it's an... Of, of Why the many you... images that I have had of Hugh Jackman in my mind, that is one that has not yet come up. You know what, Charlotte? I don't know why. Why would you go on a podcast and not listen to an episode beforehand to give yourself a sense of what it's about? I can't tell. I can't answer these things for you. Why I don't smelly. I wasn't going to say nothing. One of us shower. Smelly, please no, me... I can't. Okay. I was going to say one of us shower today. And it's... I had to be at work at eight. It's okay. It starts at eight. We can't be late. We could not, would not want to wait. This is all prime. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain, and the waving wheat can sure smell sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain. If you could tell someone Mm -hmm. who wanted to mount a production of Oklahoma, okay, give them a few words of wisdom, like words to constantly think about when they're looking at the text and they're reading it. Um, I mean, one thing that I will say, and I don't know if this is answering your question in the clearest way, it's just like, it's probably important. Not. It's probably not. But to note its place in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and to really understand the many facets of why it's important. Mm-hmm. Both, and mostly just in terms of the structural story- storytelling. Yeah. And like, yeah. yeah. No, in order to go forward, you always have to know where you've been. Exactly. That is how I've always felt. Um, which is why I don't, like things that rewrite history we history is littered with undesirable stories and people and things um don't rewrite it so that way it can seem more like my little pony to you Mm -hmm. make it more facets of lori uh (laughs) get up (laughs) in order to improve you have to know what you're improving from Mm -hmm. um and I think that's true in terms of musical theater as well, which is a much more shallow way to look at it. Like, I'm not talking... Musical theater is a little different from, like, slavery and, and the Inquisition. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, musical theater is different from slavery? Well, we have this the slave is... play on Broadway right now, which I haven't seen, but I'm going to assume doesn't have a dream ballet. What a plot twist that would be. <laughs> Bitch, I would be first in line if you were to tell me that the slave play has slave. a dream ballet. Hey. Dream I mean, ballet. who doesn't want a dream ballet in their plays? You know what the ferryman was missing? A 20-minute dream ballet from that three-and-a-half-hour play. I will say, that was the fastest three-and-a-half hours of my life. Unlike Gary, which was the longest 90 minutes of my life. I enjoyed Gary for just the sheer what-the-fuckery of it all. It was just exhausting. It, was, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It was no. wonderful. It was just exhausting. It was exhausting. I found the first two hours of the ferryman to go by in a minute. And then the third act... Yeah, the third act. Mm-hmm. The first half of the third act for me was a bit of a slog. Was when, that all the, the boys yeah, all sitting the boys. around? Yeah, yeah, That was all the boys sitting around, and I'm like, I'm done. This is all to say <laughs> um, that, yes, musical theater is a much more shallow way to look at that with in terms of history, but it's the same principles apply, which is if you're going to do theater, musicals, plays, what have you, write it, direct it, be in it, you do have to have a sense of the history and the scope of it. Mm-hmm. You know, theater didn't just start with Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, and also didn't just start with Jason Robert Brown. Yeah, and it didn't just start with Les Mis. Um, or Santim. Santim? Sondheim. Oh. Because you have to understand... I was like, are you saying Santim from, from Moulin Rouge? Oopsies. Uh, but one thing that you have to understand is that Stephen Sondheim was a student of Oscar Hammerstein II. That, you, that he was 
able to break the mold because he understood the mold that he was breaking. Yes. And he had the utmost respect for it. And yes, he and Oscar clashed and fought and like sure. disagreed on loads. But he knew the field that he was developing. Mm. And he knew what he was branching towards because he knew what he was branching away from. Yeah. And he... That, you know, that, that comes with respect. Yeah. And I mean... I would actually, I would disagree with the term branching out because it, there is so much respect there. I would say building upon. Building upon, yeah. exactly. exactly. Because as you said, there is so much respect there. And he's he's openly said like he and Oscar Hammerstein differed as night and day in terms of lyricists. Like they, Oscar wow. Hammerstein was, you know, an optimist and he was much more about, you know, rural imagery. He loved himself some like bird imagery. It was like his favorite thing to write about. But he does say like- He also I, loves a uh, scale. Yes. Well, that's Richard Rogers. Yeah, but, but, but it blends. Um, but he does say, like, as a book writer, Oscar Hammerstein is peerless and, like, the probably the most important person in, in musical theater history. Because, I mean, if you look at Book of Mormon, Book of Mormon, structurally speaking, is a golden age musical. I mean, their entire second act number of Joseph Gordon-Smith, not Joseph Gordon-Smith, just Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> Joseph <laughs> Wait, Smith. No, no, Joseph Smith. The, the, the song they do about Joseph Smith is a direct homage to the King and I small house of Uncle Thomas. Yeah. And that comes because Bobby Lopez and Trey Parker and Matt Stone know that. Exactly. And use it. Yeah. Um, you know, Oscar Hammerstein, if there's one person that you should look to as, like, the grandfather of musical theater, it is Oscar Hammerstein, purely from a book writing perspective, how mm-hmm. he shaped musicals and how they sung, how they spoke, how they moved. Mm-hmm. That was him. 100%. Um, and that is no more evident than in Oklahoma. Indeed. I think that's a great place to end. Well, Charlotte, this has been lovely. This has been a lovely hour and 45 minutes. Um, I mean, we'll see how short I cut this down to. So this has been a I mean, lovely... A, a lot of this has been... Uh... Yeah, no, there is some fat that I will trim. Don't you worry, baby. Um, I'm very worried. I, I, I do my best. Don't I'm you worry. I'm worried just like for you in the process of, of finding well, the... Uh, I can't... Well, yeah. The I'll diamonds come, in the rough. I did keep all of the auto, audio of me and Josh Daniel doing the Sondheim Divas from the Sondheim concert <gasps> because... Well, so his episode is like an hour and 19, I want to mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We recorded for two hours and 15 minutes. That tracks. Um, and I have to tell you, truly all of it is gold in my eyes, but I was like, I have to cut some stuff because right. I this podcast has not gone to a point or yet where we, a can, two, we can do two-parter. We could have done a two-parter. Yeah. And that would have been fun, but I'm like, you know what? I I think it's best that I hold on to this for a little bit. And maybe yes. if I get to a point where people are dying to hear some of that cut, audio yeah, I will yeah, release yeah. it because that's one of the few raw audios that I have kept because I'm Rodeos. like so, raw raw audios Rodeos 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 Agus Mill Agus Mill Oklahoma nailed it <laughs> <laughs> you know what Taylor Swift didn't write Oklahoma, Oklahoma. <laughs> that's probably the greatest transition I've ever done in my life <laughs> that is such gold it's iconic it's iconic it's gold rush gold rush west western Oklahoma. Um, Charlotte, where can people find you on social media? Oh, at Seamaltz on the Instagram and on Twitter. I don't really use Twitter though. L- letter C, M A L T S. That's on me. Instagram and That's Twitter. But me. if you really want to know what Charlotte's up to, follow her on Instagram. Watch my stories. I'm an idiot. Yeah. Um, and you can follow no me. You need to keep that in there. <laughs> I absolutely will. Um, <laughs> you can follow me 
on Instagram at Matt Koplik, M-A-T-T-K-O-P-L-I-K. You can expect John back on the podcast shortly. I know I promised it before, but I'll say it again. If you write us a nice little gay review, John will come back and heal all the faster. Um, (gasps) Bonus points if you can include a reference to either Big the Musical, Smile, Sally Murphy, um, or, you know, I don't know, the, the Patty LaPone. Uh, so far we've had smile references and I want to say an Into the Woods reference, but I could be making that up. I definitely know there's been at least one smile reference in our, in our that iTunes reviews. Niche. Well, it's because I talk about it a lot. Really? I love smile. But that's for another podcast. Um, in the meantime, guys. Oh, no, wait. No, I can't do that. Charlotte. <gasps> yeah. This is going to be a little tricky for you. And I have to whip out my laptop so I can cross reference. I'm so glad you said laptop. My laptop. I've got to whip out my laptop. Uh, we oh. close out every episode with a Broadway diva. Oh. I would like you to pick our Broadway diva, please. But it has to be one we haven't done before. So excuse me while I get my laptop so I can make sure you're not picking one we haven't done. Am I just picking their name? What am I supposed to do with it? Yeah. You're going to pick their name and it's going to close us out on the episode. Is Hugh Jackman too obvious? What? We usually do ladies. Uh, does Patrick Wilson count? <laughs> I mean, he makes me feel like a lady. Damn straight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, I'm trying to think of something that's like pseudo rel Mary Testa. Oh, Yes! Write that shit down. Mary Testa. Mary Titty fucking Testa. <laughs> Mary Titty Testa. No, Mary Titty fucking Testa. Mary Titty fucking Testa. <laughs> oh, and, and then he died. And then he died. <laughs> ah, I'm so happy. <laughs> I love seeing this joy in your face. I have so much joy. I have been told that we should set up a video camera to record my reactions as my honestly i've been told my facial expressions are quite interesting at least just for like the gram posts you know what i mean just Just, like just to compliment with like a middle a little bit of the gram absolutely anyway so this this has been an everlasting love (laughs) so this has been the broadway breakdown uh i'm matt koplik you're Charlotte Malpe. I sure is. And uh, tune in next time, y'all. And here is Miss Mary Testa to take us away. Ta- take us away, titty fucker. <laughs> Mary Testa, fucking Testa. You say it like a grand name. Mary Testa, fucking Testa. I kind of just said it like Liza Minnelli. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.